prophetic word for the coming year. I'll be sharing that from the perspective of being overseer of Christian Family Fellowship International. And uh, Zach will be back next week and share, start sharing a message about vision, vision for the local church. So that's good. And, uh, you know, God has really given me a strong word for this coming year about some things that are, I believe are going to happen. And uh, I think this Sunday will be a prophetic Sunday. So I may just have to get Randy to come up there and minister with me a little bit. He and I got to flow together, you know. So What was that? Oh, I thought it was a mouse. And all the ladies said, oh, I don't like mice either. But keep Rick Timbush in your prayers too. Uh, I went to see him today. He was just kind of sleepy. But I did talk to him a couple of days before that, and he was quite talkative. And on the phone today, he was very talkative. But uh, he's lost quite a bit of weight. If you're in the ICU for about 12 days and all you're eating is what's coming out of a little bitty tube, you're not getting a lot. I'm sure he's getting something, glucose or whatever they call that stuff. But uh, anyway, he's happy to be awake and to eat some real food. I fed him in the hospital one day and the nurses were a little slow and he was looking very hungry. So I just kept putting it in. And I said, okay, get ready. Round and round it goes. And here it stops. Nobody knows. Bingo. Gave him mashed potatoes and gravy and all the soft stuff. And uh, then Larry, his cousin, was feeding him today. He was very much proud of that. If he could help Rick eat. Tonight, <coughs> we're going to continue to talk about moving past forgiveness. How many of you know that you have to forgive? Uh, there's just no way around it. You know, Jesus told Peter, you've got to give seven times 70. Because Peter said, how many times, Lord, do I have to forgive? Seven times? He said, try 70 times seven. That's a whole bunch. And that just covers one day, you know, so you got to start all over the next day. And it's a practice. You have to practice your forgiveness. Uh, I like what Brother Randy said. He said he was in his studio worshiping the Lord for a couple hours before he came over here tonight. Well, guess what? It took him two hours to give us a dynamic 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And I've always heard it said, and I know in the past, sometimes we have to study 8 to 15 hours to present a 30 to 45-minute message, you know, because you have to fill up on the inside so that you have something to give out. And so we're gonna, I'm going to try to help you some more tonight. But looking here, we're going to look at the book of Ruth. And I'm not... I'm just going to see how the Lord wants me to present this. But to operate in forgiveness and get past it so you can keep growing, I'm going to read 
probably the first two verses first. It says, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the, the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Ma, Ma, Malon, Malon, and Chilion. Ephrathites, thank you, Philip, I think I can handle it. Uh, I just have to see it through and phonetically pronounce it of Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Now, this is something that you have to understand and know. Did God send them? Sometimes people go where they're not supposed to go. How many know that's true? You get into trouble when you go to places that you're not supposed to go to. And sometimes people move to places where they're really not supposed to move to. I've seen a few people, I'm not complaining, move out of our church and move on, sometimes out of town even, when God really wasn't through with them here. Now sometimes people return. I even had a prophetic word given to me like that. said, now you've had people leave, but when time goes by they're going to come back and the Lord says open your arms and receive them you know sometimes you have to go through a few things before you're willing to really commit uh, brother Norm and I talked frequently we were talking today and he was telling me you know about how uh, there was a guy that came to him and said, I want to submit to you in the ministry. And he said, well, go over and help that guy right there and submit to him. He said, no, I don't want to do that. I want to submit to you. And Norm said he had done. Well, you just failed the first instruction that I, if you're submitting to me, that I gave you. And so, you know, I used to, say to my coaches when they said jump I'd say how high and they'd say run I say how far you know I was just ready to do whatever my coaches told me when I was an athlete in school and I you know I never took off uh, sprints or whatever there was some athletes that could that were just a little bit faster than me but I always beat them in the sprints at the end of practice because I didn't take anything off. I worked hard all the way through to the end. But they, and the coach knew it, and he said, well, we're going to have to run again. And everybody go, ah! He said, yeah, somebody was loafing. Somebody was taking time off in this last sprint. And then when he said, now, whoever gets first place gets to go into the locker room. Now, you've already ran several wind sprints, and you've practiced. And you know what? You didn't want to run any more than you had to. 
And wouldn't you know that the person who took the time off would win? That would peeve me. That'd make me so upset. But I learned over time, if I keep working at it, I'm going to figure out how to beat him. And so I did. The next time, I beat him in the wind sprint. Yeah. I learned that you could work harder, and you know you had to touch the line. So I'd run, and I would whip around and touch the line with my toe and go that way. Whereas everybody else was running all the way through the line like that and turn around. Well, I, I learned to flip around like a sprinter on my fingertips, take off again. I beat him, and I went in. He was upset. He had to run another sprint. But uh, that's the way it is sometimes. Some people don't want to pay the price. And so here were, was this family. They moved to Moab to a region that was full of idolatry. And that wasn't where God really wanted them. God didn't speak for them to go there. And I'm just imagining in my mind, there's a few people that have been in Moab for a while that will be returning to the church. I'm not just talking about our church, but to the church. I don't want to get into my Sunday morning message. But I'll say this. Number one, things don't always work out the way we intended, especially when we leave God out of the decision. Sometimes things don't turn out the way you wanted because you didn't really ask God if you could. I remember I had this vision for this city and I had the platform that I thought I was going to be able to minister here and it didn't work out. And so God sent me to another land and I had to go there and take up the mantle and another ministry, and God blessed me there. Kind of like Joseph when he was sold into slavery. I went to a South Miami area and was part of a ministry and raised up a church, and we saw great and awesome things occur and happen, and, and God opened doors, and I began to travel to different countries and other parts of the world and preach in conventions and such as that. But... My heart was always to fulfill the vision God gave me for this region. And so, uh, you know, I started longing to come back. And I'd ask the Lord, when can I? Finally, one day, he spoke to me. He said, I'll let you go back to Poplar Bluff after your father passes away. Well, you know you're never going to pray that your dad would pass away. So you know what I did? I just hunkered down and did a good job and the best that I knew to obey God where I was at. And I bloomed where I was planted. And my parents come see, see us and then we go down up back up here and see them. And I'd preach revivals up here when I'd travel back oftentimes and such. Until one day we went out to eat after church on a Sunday. And it was at the Golden Corral, in fact. I'll never forget the day. And in those days, oftentimes I would wear a vest, a leather vest, and it was just kind of a like an outfit. I'd wear my cowboy boots, a leather vest, 
And I was a little more vain then, I think, or something. I was more concerned about what I look like now. You know what? I'm getting older, and it really doesn't matter that much anymore. So anyhow, after I hung up the vest, the Lord said, your father is passing today, and you don't have to let the new pastor at their church do the funeral. You can let Brother Burdine do it, who had been a pastor and had known them for many, many years. And so, lo and behold, I went about reading the newspaper and so on, and it takes a while to read the Miami Herald when it's that thick, you know. It's like reading a book. But I was reading the paper, watching sports on TV. I think it was a baseball game. And it was on June the 8th, a Sunday, 2003. And... That evening, about, I'd say 6.30 my time, 5.30, uh, Papa Bluff's time, my sister called. When I heard her voice, I said, Daddy passed away, didn't he? She said, how did you know? I said, well, the Lord told me earlier today that today he was passing. Now, when he spoke to me, it was like 1.30 in the afternoon. When he passed, it was like 5 o'clock. It was like three and a half hour difference. And... I said, and the Lord told me we don't have to let the new pastor do the funeral because he didn't know him. My father was in a nursing home. He already went to see him. I said, the Lord said we could have Brother Birdine do it. Now, my brother's a minister. I'm a minister. And, uh, you know, we could have done the funeral. But it just, sometimes you need to be ministered to. And since he knew the family well, that seemed right. And so I, I really didn't think much about it. I came to the funeral. I was already holding services twice a month. And it was usually at the radio station out at KOKS. And so uh, they had a room that seated about 80 people. And I was holding Thursday night and Friday night service there. I'd fly in on a Thursday morning from Fort Lauderdale to Nashville, drive over stay with my mom, then drive over to the radio station. Sister Virginia would come. I don't know if Brother Sherman ever came to those. But Sister Mary, her mother, came with her. And I don't know if she was one of my fans or not, but she seemed to like me. So she would come. Anyhow, I was already scheduled to be there. In fact, a day early, I was going to do Wednesday night and Thursday night because we had a school function on Friday night and my kids for the awards and such as that and so there I was already scheduled to go early and so I flew in on Tuesday me and my brother drove over from Nashville because that's where he lived and we came to have the visitation on Wednesday night the funeral on Thursday morning and then I flew back home on Friday and so I really didn't think, well, now I'm going to move like that, although I'd already sold my house. I knew the time was coming. I sold my house, made a big profit, was able to have money in the bank, and I had a house picked out up here that we live in to this day. And after, that was Jan June the 8th, on July the 1st, we closed on this house. But then I didn't resign until August. You know, you just don't make abrupt decisions 
you weigh it out and pray it through. And so I resigned in the middle of August. And then I stayed the president of the corporation, helped them make their transition all the way through the end of January. And we had our church started up here at that time as well. We started October 19th, 2003. And so... You know, God gives you instructions. You go when you're supposed to go. You go where you're supposed to go. And then you sometimes return to where he means you to be. And now Zach's the pastor of the local church. I'm still moving out in ministry as well. You know, I'll be 65 in March. But I don't feel like I'm ready to go to pasture just yet. I think I've got more to do, and it's going to expand even more this year. So, you know, when you go places you're not supposed to go, it's hard. It's difficult. Even when people think you should be there. That Florida wasn't that way for me. There were other times I went places, and it was real difficult. I left Poplar Bluff from Grace United Methodist went to Nashville, and it was difficult. I taught in the inner city schools of Nashville, and I just was a whipped puppy. I thought I'd, you know, crashed and burned. Although I made a difference in some kids' lives, I still, I, it didn't seem like it fit, but God has to teach us a lesson out of it sometimes. And so we go on, it says, Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband died. I'm sorry. And she was left and her two sons. Now they, now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. This was after her husband died. And her sons had taken two wives. Then both Malon and Chilion also died. They just didn't have any good luck, if I can put it that way. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore she, she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead, and with me. The Lord grant that you may find uh, rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands. You see, because the way the culture was, if somebody died, then, you know, uh, 
it could be others in the family that had to marry those who were widows. And so turn back, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? I mean, it's like a 30, maybe a 30-year-old woman or 25-year-old woman waiting for a kid to be born and then grow up. And like marrying a nephew or your son. Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Now, I want you to notice, she felt like the Lord was against her. Sometimes we have disappointments and discouragements, and we blame the Lord. God, what are you doing? You know, how come this hasn't worked? I've been in that position before, and I asked the Lord, "What's going on, Lord?" You know, and I, you know, other positions and whatnot, and circumstances, and I wasn't sure I was in the right place at that time. But then they lifted up their voices and wept again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, look, your, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. She was saying, you, you don't owe me any debt. Go on. Go find your, a husband that will provide for you. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. And where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. And when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. In other words, she stopped telling her, look, go on, go back to your people. She knew she was serious. That's something that it should be an integral message for the church today. How many people are serious about serving God? How many people are committed to serving God where he plants you? You know, are you really willing? And, and a lot of people say, well, I don't know why I'm having so much trouble. But a lot of times they have not committed themselves nor put everything they have into it. Now, if you'll do that, I mean, God will honor you. You know, uh, have y'all noticed Randy? I'm going to brag on Randy a little bit. Uh he has led worship for many years. When they came here, now you can interrupt me if I'm telling the wrong thing. He felt, and I, I think Christina might feel the same way, I'm not sure, I haven't talked to him as much with her, but he felt at home. You felt like this was where God led you. They came to the conference when we laid hands on Zach to be the local pastor. 
I wasn't going anywhere. I'm still here. I'm here to help Zach to excel. I'm here to do my part and assist him. And I'm still going to do what I'm called to do as well. But I'm here to make sure he succeeds in his leadership here. But Randy felt comfortable. I'm just speaking about him right now, but his family. And, and on Sunday mornings, he's been playing the drums. Have y'all noticed that? Have you enjoyed having another drummer around? Okay. In the past, sometimes we've had four or five drummers years ago, and we've had two or three bass players and different keyboard players and guitar players. And then God has a way of squeezing you through the birth canal, and he doesn't let you bring anything with you. And so sometimes, and sometimes people don't decide to stick with it unless they get some kind of payoff out of it, you know. Man, if it's talking about money, I could have done some other things. I'd have a lot more money today, you know. But God didn't tell me that. He told me to come here, you know, and I'm just showing you. Brother Summerall said, why do you want to go up there? And this was before he ever came and visited. Then he had a great prophecy to give our church. <laughs> but he said, I can send you to, to McAllen, Texas. We've got a church running over 1,000 down there. And the way you love Mexico, that church is full of Mexicans. And said, we, I can send you there. That church is on TBN every week down there in that region. And you, you can be right at home. I said, Brother Summerall, I've got a great church where I'm at. It isn't about leaving one church and just going to another because I'd have a great time there or whatever. He was afraid I was sacrificing a certain level of ministry for something less. But you see, I saw something years before that was much greater than what I had and what McAllen could offer me. And the way it could manifest, you know, I wasn't sure how it was all going to come about. But it is going to come about. I mean, it's going to be fantastic. But, see, Randy and his wife, Christina, and family, they felt led here. And so Randy didn't, he's never complained to me and said, well, Pastor, I'd rather lead worship than play the drums. No, but he's leading worship on Wednesday nights. Zach asked him if he would lead worship on Wednesday nights. Is that all right with y'all so thus far? And, you know, and I'll tell you, Randy and I really clicked. I'm buttering him up here. No, but we do. We click in the Holy Spirit. Because as this church keeps growing and as God brings in more people, more talented people, I got in the back of my mind, I think Randy could go with me a few places. He could do some music with me in some other countries or some other states and cities. I never told you that, though, did I? Maybe I shouldn't have told you now. <laughs> but, you know, I think we'll have teams, several teams of worship. You know, Different places didn't just become what they are. It took years for it to develop and have the foundation to have the structure 
that they had. Whatever you got. Some of those, some places it didn't turn out too good. And I, I don't want to say anything, but I watched a documentary about a group out of Australia that's been all over the world and the United States that are some serious scandals. But there are other groups that seem to be doing well in the Lord. And I think that's important that we don't go to Moab and lose our focus. And it seemed like that was the word Randy gave, since I'm talking about Randy. On Sunday, he got off the drums after I prophesied, Sister Virginia prophesied, and he prophesied. He said the Lord told him, don't have distractions. Don't let distractions come that will keep you from getting into that place with the Lord that he wants you to be in. You know, because the devil's got an agenda. Steal, kill, destroy. That's his agenda. And the world's got an agenda. Eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we might die. See, the flesh has an agenda. Feed me. Feed me. Biscuits and gravy. Chocolate. Or maybe he wants you to smoke cigarettes. Or maybe he wants you to drink or do drugs or whatever. But the, the body, the soul, and the spirit, that's three areas that, the, that are always tested. And so, I see here, number two, you can make a choice that shows you are committed to God. Who did that? Her name was Ruth. She said, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you stay, I will stay. And I'm not going to leave you until death do us part. Sounds like a marriage almost. But she's saying, I'm committed in your family, and you're going to lead me and show me the way. My God will, your God will be my God. Because, see, uh, Naomi told him, you can go back to your people and go back to your gods. You can find your own husband. You know, go on if that's going to make you happy. No, Ruth said, no, I want your God to be my God. That's one of the best things she ever decided. Because I'll tell you what, you know what happened? Well, anyway, let me read Exodus 23 and 33. And it says, They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Now, I don't know any everybody's circumstances. But I know this, men are moved by what they see. Oh, wow, that's a pretty girl. Man, maybe she doesn't know the Lord. And that man is looking for a wife. Because the Bible says if a man finds a wife, he finds a good thing. But you don't go looking for your wife in Moab. In other words, maybe you go to a bar, you meet them, and then you both get saved and filled with the Holy Spirit and your life changes. 
but that don't always work that way. It's better to find that wife in a Christian place. If you want a Christian marriage, that's the best thing. But see, men are moved by what they see, and the devil knows that. It's a snare. He said, hey, it's a snare if you go there and have to serve the wrong gods, you know. So anyway, we see there the choices we make have to show that we're committed to God. Number three, you can be mad at God and become bitter and blame him for the circumstances in which you're living. Let's see what Ruth 19 through 22 says. Turn that page. There it is. Now the two of them, that's Naomi and Ruth, went until they came to Bethlehem, and it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them, and the women said, Is this Naomi? Man, they were maybe high school friends. And she got married, and then they moved away to Moab. I'm not saying if you move to Las Vegas, you're going to go deep in sin and lose your salvation. I moved from Missouri to New Orleans, one of the sin cities of America. And I worked for a ministry that was on fire in the Holy Ghost. And hundreds of people being saved. And it was an awesome thing. And my wife came there and got saved. I wouldn't have found her. I, you see, she worked on Bourbon Street in a poster gallery. You know, where they have picture of a Corvette or something and a model standing next to it or a picture of the French Quarter architecture and so on. It wasn't risque, it wasn't pornographic pictures, but it was the kind of pictures that you would frame and put on your walls, maybe a cityscape. But she worked in that poster gallery on Bourbon Street. I mean, it was not in the risque part of Bourbon Street. It was up closer to Fountain or to Esplanade, you know. But uh, she came with her sister to church. She may be watching me on the camera. You've got to watch what I'm saying. But she came to church because her sister told her that there was one of the singers at the church that looked like her. And the funny thing is I used to date that girl. And she became one of the singers in one of my... Christian rock bands that I managed at the time. And so uh, my wife came to church to see what this girl looked like. And my sister-in-law, Loretta, was so disappointed because that night they had a child evangelist. Not a child that was an evangelist, but an evangelist to children. And so she thought, oh, no, she'll never come back. And I had two little boys from the Desire Projects there because I did outreaches. I told you all about that. But anyway, so she got my wife to come back on Monday night. Or Yeah, Monday night, because that was Sunday night. And on Monday night, she accepted the Lord, and she came back on Wednesday night, and Brother Gorman expressed the altar call and said, have you received the gift of the Holy Spirit? And... He was talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
And she thought, well, I want a gift. Yeah, if they're giving gifts away, I'm going to go up. So she came up, and she got filled with the Holy Spirit. And then I met her. I'd already met her on Sunday night. But then on Monday night, I wasn't there, but she came back and got saved. Then on Wednesday night, she came to the service and got filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, I didn't see her that night until after. Because I had my own service, Wednesday night service, with the college and career age group. Which that church was a revival church. So I had a, a pretty good number of people there in my service. And afterwards, Loretta brought her over and I met her again. And that's when I said, well, you need to start coming to the college and career service. And I invited them to go get some coffee and donuts. And then from there on, I invited her to come to the prayer on in the morning before work. And we would always go over to, it's kind of like the Huddle House. It might even have been the Huddle House. I don't remember, but it was over on Carrollton Avenue. And we'd go eat breakfast, and then I'd go back to school, and they'd go do their thing. Well, we, we end up seeing each other every day except one for five months. I got tired of saying goodnight at the door. You know, so we end up getting married. You know, it was right. So I didn't go to Moab, though, to find a wife. God brought a girl out of Moab who got saved, who was like Ruth, who committed her heart to Jesus. Then she said those same words when we got married. Wherever you go, I go. Wherever you stay, I stay. You know. Whatever God has for you, he has it for me. She was committed to me. 38 years and a half later, here we are. We're still around. But you see, the circumstances in life sometimes make people bitter. So we go on and read, and it says here, I read 19, didn't I, Pastor Ken? They said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. It was great. She had a daughter-in-law to hang out with her, but God has dealt bitterly with me. I lost my husband. I lost my sons. She said, I went out full. And the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Naomi did not have a vision of hope for her future. What was she doing? She was trying to survive, hoping that family might help her out, hoping that she could make it and at least have something to eat and a place to stay. But Ruth was like, hey, I'm going to serve your God. I, yeah, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm coming with you. She had a totally different attitude. Naomi was bitter. And see, many times people get bitter 
because of the circumstances that they find themselves in. And they wonder, is God in this thing or not? I can't believe God has testified against me. Why, Lord, have you put me in this predicament? Why have I lost my husband? Or why have I gone through a divorce? Or why have I lost my job? Or why this? Or why that? People can ask all kinds of questions. But are they committed? Or are they just going to complain? Ruth was committed. And we'll see something here. See, number four, people rebel and don't trust God for their lives and for their supply. They just get bitter. God going to do anything for me? Who am I? I'm not Naomi. I'm Mara. Anyway, number five, God is accused of cursing the situation. But God often ignores it and changes things if someone in the midst has a little bit of faith. And who was it? That was Ruth. It wasn't Naomi. So what happened? Because we'll see over here in chapter 4 the result. Because I'm not going to tell you that whole story other than to say Ruth did what Naomi coached her to do. And it was barley harvest. And so she said, well, you know, we're poor. So we get the right to go and glean from the corners. You know, I don't know about this, Brother Sherman, but the tractor just didn't go in a square. It, it curved on the corners. So there was some barley left, some of the harvest was left in the corners, and the poor could go and glean from what was left. And Naomi's like, well, at least we're going to get something, and we'll be able to eat. But then she got to thinking, well, come to think of it now, this Boaz is my cousin. He's not married. He's a bachelor. What do they call them when they're up in years and they're a bachelor? You know, he's like a lifetime bachelor. But he was wealthy. Man. And she kind of coached him and said, you know what? You go cozy up and offer to warm his feet. Get some things and go over and, and serve him and, you know, keep his feet warm. Get him some, net him some booties and put them on his feet. You know. Anyway, we see in Ruth 4, 13 through 17. We're going to see something here. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Isn't that odd? They were in Moab for 10 years and she never bore a son to Naomi's son, but she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative, and may his name be famous to Israel. Guess who that ended up being? Somebody named David who became king of Israel. Is the descendant. And one of his great-grandmas was a Moabitess. She was converted through Naomi. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. 
Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. Also, the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. And he is the father of Jesse, the father of David. How awesome is that? That's pretty cool, I think, that it worked out. You know, I heard Brother Summerall tell a story about a man who was an epileptic, and he would have seizures. And he wanted them to pray for him. He begged them to pray for him. And so Brother Summerall, because he had manifested a seizure in church. Have you ever seen somebody manifest a seizure in church? Epileptic seizure? I have. I'll never forget, we had a young man that would do that in First Assembly of God Church down on Leicester Street where Nybert Clinic is. That's where the church used to be when I was a, a boy and Pastor Ken was a boy. And I don't know if you remember, but this young man would manifest. He was like on the second row and Peck Bowles. You remember Peck and Ella? Peck, bald-headed. And when he was young, he looked like Mr. Clean on the bottle. Well, he went over. And he sat next to that young man, and he said, In the name of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus. And that young man's seizure would stop. And so, anyway, Brother Summerall said this young man wanted deliverance. And he said, Well, come and meet us, such and such, like tomorrow night at the office. And he had some men with him. And he said, We're going to find out if this epilepsy is caused by demons or if it's caused by organic things you know in other words your genealogy and you got something in your system that makes you have a seizure you know there are are legitimate medical reasons why some people manifest certain things and so when they got him in there and he started talking to him in a calm voice then he said now whatever his name was, we'll say Pete or something. He said, Pete, by the name of Jesus and his blood, I pray for you. And he said the guy started growling, and then he went into a seizure. He said, well, I think we found out this one isn't organic. So then those men started praying, and Brother Summerall cast the demons out of him. And the man was set free. You really need to have that kind of Seasoning, I guess you'd call it, in the ministry, dealing with people. It's like one of the gals was manifesting some kind of demons at the end of the 12 steps one night over when we were over in the building there by the Gamma Labs there at the conference center building. And uh, was it you, Tara? Somebody came and got, I think you were in my foundries group. Somebody else came and said, Pastor Kevin, you're needed over here. And I went over to the room and the, I won't say the girl's name, but she was laying on the floor, and Patty Panagas was praying over her, and she said, I need your help. These demons just won't leave. And she was shouting, get out of her in the name of Jesus. I said, are you scared? She said, no. I says, well, you know, demons aren't deaf. <laughs> she calmed down, and I knelt down next to this girl, and I called her by name. I said, what's in there? And, and she told me what she was hearing. I said, all right. 
Let me have your hand. I took her hand. I, I very gently said, now in the name of Jesus Christ, we take authority over this spirit and we command it to leave you. And she breathed a big sigh. And I said, what else was in there? Do you know? And she said, such and such. I said, okay, we do it again. By the name and the blood of Jesus, we command you to leave her. And that thing left her. Until finally we were done. I said, is there anything else in there? She said, no, I feel fine. I got her to sit up, and, you know, it was over. When she walked out of the room, Patty told me, she said, man, I can't believe how easy that was. I said, well, I'm not bragging about me, but I've done this for many years. And I walk in authority as a leader of this church. And I have the right, when somebody submits to the Holy Spirit, to help them be delivered. You don't have to scream and yell. The demons aren't deaf. And a lot of the time people do that because they're afraid. People gather around and start praying real loud in the spirit or something because they're afraid. They're afraid it's going to jump on them or something. But it doesn't have to be that way. Now sometimes I've had to be forceful when I've done a, a deliverance and tell it very forcefully but you don't have to scream and lose your voice and all this. But we see that things can change if somebody has faith. Ruth had faith. Number six, we have to learn and pray and forgive our accusers and our critics. Naomi was embarrassed. She lost her husband and her sons. Why was she embarrassed? Because they disobeyed God and they went to Moab because they were fearful they wouldn't be able to eat. Well, if God doesn't send you out, then, you know, how's he going to provide for you when you disobey him? When you obey God, God will provide. And so when God, when she came back and she said, oh, God's testified against me. Well, he hadn't had to. They were in rebellion when they moved over there. They didn't obey God. So, anyway, we see, and and I'll just mention this. What time is it? We're about ready to close, aren't we? Well, let's go over to Job real quickly. Job 1, 22. It says, In all this, Job did not sin nor curse, charge God with wrong. See, he lost his, his family other than his wife, because later on, you know, I think it's in verse 2, verse, chapter 2, verse 9, what she says, Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. He was fed up with it. I mean, the guy, poor guy, lost everything he had. He was a wealthy man. He lost his kids, all died or got killed, and, and you know, he was just left with nothing. And that was a test. I don't see where God ever did that again in the scriptures where he made somebody lose everything they had. Sometimes people disobey God and they lose everything they had. But it, God allowed the enemy to attack him. But we see over in Job 42 what happened. Verse 10 through 13. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends who were all criticizing him. 
See, everybody can criticize you. Well, you know, if they had done this or if they had done that, then they'd, you know, it'd be better for them or whatever. But indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then all his brothers, all his sisters, and all those who had been his acquaintances before came to him and ate food with him in his house, and they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and each a ring of gold. They respected his stand before the Lord. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. And then he told all the names of their names. See, he lost his children, but then God gave him twice as many. And his wife, I wonder what she had to say about that. And restored his wealth to him. He prayed for his friends that criticized him. They were trying to figure out what was wrong with him. Why did it seem like he failed? You see, he hadn't failed at all. He actually passed the test that God allowed. And so what do we learn from this? Satan is the master at trying to get you to blame God for all the bad that came your way. It's not God. Now, in Job's case, he allowed Satan to attack him. But, you know, Jesus Christ has died on the cross and went to the whipping post. Satan doesn't have that authority given to him to do that to us. But many people give up, they give in, they back out, they back up, they quit. They, they just don't stay committed to the Lord like they need to. Pray for your enemies. Pray for your friends who criticize you. Don't get mad and bitter and say, God has done me wrong. The world has done me wrong. Well, do something about it. Commit yourself to the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean to your own understanding. And acknowledge Him in all your ways, and He'll direct your path, and He'll provide in ways that you never even thought possible. James 5 and 13 says, If anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, uh, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. We did that tonight over some. You know what? If you believe, you're going to be healed. Yeah. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So when we're faced with dire circumstances, that's my summary anyway, we can be like Ruth and make up our minds to serve God. Not foreign gods, not idols, but the God that created the world. And not turn him back and learn to forgive like Job and you'll be able to receive the greatest blessings 
you ever thought possible. Amen. I hope this spoke to somebody tonight, either here or over Facebook Live or YouTube when it gets to there. God really does love you, and he wants to help you. But don't tie his hands up by disbelief or by doubts or by accusation of God. How many people, you know, how ludicrous really it is that anybody would blame God. And yet God didn't blot them out. And how many times have we complained to God and he didn't wipe you off the face of the earth like he could. Just the presence of his righteousness could cause that. But he still loved us anyway. He gave us a chance to turn it around. Yeah. Stand with me, would you? Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray for each and every one here and those that have watched by Facebook Live that you would help them to become like Ruth, the Moabitess that chose the God of Israel, that she knew where the power was going to come from for her life. And then she was blessed with a husband that helped her to bear the lineage that went all the way to David through Jesse's house. And David became a king over Israel. And God loved David so much that in the end days he'll sit on a throne with Jesus Christ and rule over the 12 tribes of Israel, even in heaven. And God, we thank you that we have a portion that we can receive as believers, just like Ruth. God, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. If anybody needs a personal prayer, we'll...